to the Andrea K show. She's blonde, five foot two, and 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Cause I'm TNT. I'm dynamite. TNT. And I will not fight. TNT. I'm a power load. <laughs> TNT. Watch me explode. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Andrea K Show. You know what? I was so dog tired on my way into the studio. I told DJ Carrot Sticks, thank you for being with me, by the way, baby. I always love being here with you. Oh. You know what I told him on the way in? I'm just dog tired. I'm war slap out. I don't know if I got any dynamite in me. He goes, you know what? You wait till that intro starts rolling. He goes, it's going to come back to you. And you know, it, it did. And it's because I just love sharing this time with you all. And I'm super excited for today's show. To everybody watching on Facebook Live, thank you so much. And to all the listeners out there. I'm um, going to keep my intro brief because I'm phenomenally excited over my first guest is going to be on the show, former CBS reporter. You all know the story there. She's now host of Full Measure, author of Stonewalled, and she's even got a new book coming out. It's none other than Cheryl Atkinson, so stay tuned. Um, After that, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jane Orient about Obamacare. Everybody's got an opinion, don't they? Everybody is an expert when it comes to the politics, the policies, the strategy, health care. And, you know, I've been kind of hesitant to weigh in and give my final conclusions on it because I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert, particularly when it comes to health care and health insurance. So I thought, you know, why not bring an actual uh, expert in the field to come on and talk about it? But I, I do want to tell you kind of a little a little summary of how I, I, I see it go down. You know, I, I think I've told you before that the the Republican Party, the establishment wing of it, has far more in common with the Democrats uh, than um, they even do with what the party is supposed to be about. And I think in the end, I think the conservatives said, hey, wait a second, this isn't what we promised. We promised repeal. Any specifics we gave were really just crossing state lines and HSAs. It wasn't all this other stuff like pre-existing conditions and stuff that's going to keep the, the cost of premiums and deductibles high. And we, we just can't go for this. And then Trump was like, you know what? Trump, the businessman, he did the takeaway close. I know it well. It's when you've reached the end of your negotiations and you got it. You're, t- you're taking the test to your buyer. You're seeing whether or not he was actually negotiating in good faith, and that's when it's that's when you're testing whether or not it's just time for everybody to walk away. And to use another analogy, Donald Trump, an outsider, a builder, was brought in, and he knows more than anybody to use a tortured building analogy that you don't try to remodel a house that's been red tagged. You either demo it fully and start over or you let it crumble and then you bring in a team to just haul away the remnants and then you start over from scratch. And that's really what needed to happen, I think, in the first place. But now we're gonna I'm gonna pick Dr. Orient's brain about it and see what she thinks. But stay tuned because coming back, the one and only Cheryl Atkinson will be here on the Andrea K show. Don't go anywhere. Be sure to follow Andrea Kay on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. 
Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hatley of the Hatley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. Super excited for my next guest. In fact, I'm as honored, probably more honored to have her than, than some of my other top guests. And I got to tell you, when I put it out on Facebook that Cheryl Atkinson was going to be on the show, the comments just, it, it, first of all, my thread blew up. And across the board, comment after comment was that, hallelujah, we're going to hear from what is considered right now to be a dying breed, an actual real-life journalist, somebody who just reports up the, stracks, the facts straight up. Cheryl Atkinson, welcome to The Andrea K Show. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, you know, yeah, my listeners were excited to hear from a real journalist, and they consider they do consider you to be a dying breed. In fact, um, they're desperate for straight-up journalism and straight-up news. Sean Hannity said in 08 that journalism was dead. I think you proved that it's not, but that it may be on life support. And so my question to you is, you know, how did, we, how did journalism get to this point in America? What went wrong? Well, I write about this in my last book, Stonewall, and my upcoming book, The Smear. It's sort of a complicated formula where I argue we have done several things. We have allowed corporate interests to infiltrate the newsroom and, and maybe direct our narratives too much. We have allowed and invited political interests into our newsrooms, not just as pundits who, like Donna Brazil, may be able to influence the news and take tricks back with her to her people, but also we've hired them as anchors and reporters and managers. And this slow infiltration of corporate and political interests has led to an entire change in what news is all about. And I think it's safe to say traditional news, as we once knew it, as I once knew it, is dead. And I don't know what's coming next. I don't think anybody can say for sure, but we are in sort of a crisis. Well, I think we are in a crisis. And I think what comes next is is a movement. Well, I think it's been brewing for a while, but I think that uh, the the people who are controlling the media, I think, and it, you know, I know that you are a straight up journalist and you're nonpartisan, but I think many of us see the media as being left controlled by the left. And um, that, that after the Trump election, that the narrative became all about, well, fake news. And we got to control this fake news issue. And now now it seems like it's a push to try to use that as a way to have um, pushback on the First Amendment. They want they want to be able to now decide what is news and what isn't. It's the it's the next step in controlling. You control the message and you control minds. And to me, that's the next step. It's them actually then even deciding what is news. And if they don't think that it's news or they don't think it's a proper news source, they're going to shut it down. I think you put your finger on it. That's my take exactly. Um, fake news has always been around, not called that, but, you know, the National Enquirer and the supermarket rags. But there was a propaganda campaign, as I write about in my new book, not just trying to push it, but these are exactly the themes that we're talking about. There was a concerted campaign that started in September of last year uh, by liberals and by the left to control what, what I think they view as the last place they couldn't control because they've sort of got the news market cornered now. But the Internet is a place where people can still find opposing viewpoints on political topics and all kinds of topics they don't want you to see. So the idea was, how can we control that last vestige of free information that people have? And uh, shortly after the September announcement by a nonprofit 
which hasn't actually received its nonprofit status, as it turns out. President Obama made the push, talking about the need to control this wild, wild west of information online. Shortly thereafter, Hillary Clinton weighed in, along with her propagandist, David Brock, of Media Matters, that this would be their cause du jour. Um, and, And we went from there. Now, unbeknownst to them, Trump, the wild card, as he so effectively does with other things, co-opted the issue. They had no idea that he would start calling them fake news. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of people kind of attribute the fake news phrase to him when, in fact, it was an invention of the left that he, I think, has quite successfully co-opted. What do you think about, if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is the Andrea K. Show, and I'm talking to Cheryl Atkinson. What do you think about WikiLeaks? Are they friend or foe? Because many of us thought, well, you know what? Maybe they got it through improper means or illegal means through hacking. But thank goodness we got the information that uh, the, the media was keeping from us. What's your take on that? Well, journalists all the time publish information that was obtained improperly. Um, that's, that's sort of a regular thing. It happens in mainstream news organizations all over the place. So why, why people should be so shocked or outraged, especially other journalists, that WikiLeaks has done this is sort of ironic or maybe hypocritical. And what they've done is put out raw information uh, that you can look at without commentary. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing the job that journalists used to do and that some journalists would normally like to do that has been wholly prevented today. So for me as an information seeker, I like having that information. Um, and, you know, it's up to others to judge whether they think ill-gotten material, you know, it's a good idea for it to be published and whatnot. But it's not illegal for WikiLeaks to have done so as long as they didn't illegally obtain the material. Right. Well, I was glad to see it. One of the things that really struck me was one of the emails, and I think it involved a Podesta. I can't remember all the people that were involved in it, but they said that they wanted to, quote, continue to conspire to have an unaware and compliant citizenry. And I think when we're talking about, you know, the state of media today, and like in your book, where you talk about, you know, how these political pundits are controlling minds and therefore able to control elections, you know, it's really scary because, you know, America, we were known to be a free press. We weren't supposed to be Pravda. You know, we were supposed to have, you know, the fourth estate, you know, doing the job to hold our elected officials accountable and report honest facts back to the people. And it's just really, really scary where we're at. This is what happens when I think a society like ours, and I'm not sure how you avoid it, becomes sort of, like I say, infiltrated with special interests and paid interests, corporate and political interests that learn how to um, sort of pervert our system to their advantage. And the media, I I think I saw signs of that years ago and and tried to write about it, but it's now, you know, something that's been in the works, a a slow burn, if you will, for the Mm -hmm. past decade. And there's no easy way to, to turn back from that. I mean, one sign that this is an effort, not just, you know, a lot of people say, well, maybe there's no, no, not as much investigative reporting or on certain topics because it doesn't make money. But it does. Mm-hmm. These are highly popular topics that viewers want to see. So the idea that news stations are acting against their own best interests when it comes to getting viewers shows that they are acting, in my opinion, as propagandists. I mean, if all they do is put on... Uh, pundits from each side, which is so much of what we see on the news, who are paid to put out certain opinions. You're not going to hear anything different from them. You're going to hear what you already know. 
it makes us a vehicle or a tool for propaganda and little really little more than that. Right. Well, yeah, and and I and I view it as part of everybody's kind of talking about the deep state right now and in a shadow government and all and all of that. And I kind of view this as as a part of it. Actually, it's a part of the deep state. Um, but I do want to pick your brain on that a little bit while I have you because uh, you know, we've got the mainstream media and the Democrat party like in a feeding frenzy over this investigation into the Trump team and Russian meddling in the election and all that, although I still haven't seen any evidence of that. Meanwhile, uh, even though Comey won't, won't confirm an investigation into the leaks, we know that there were felonies involved in, in leaks. There's no investigation going on in that. Then Trump says that he was tapped and, you know, everybody's mocking him for it. And I'm saying, you know, wait a second, where's the investigation into this? We have a data mining facility out in Utah that costs tra- cost trillions of dollars. We know, we all saw in horror your video that you put out where your laptop is your reports are being deleted in real time in front of your eyes. We've got Congressman Chaffetz, Kucinich, the unmasking now of, of citizens. This is real, that this deep state surveillance stuff is happening, isn't it? Well, I think ordinary Americans know and believe, because factually it's been proven true, that there is improper surveillance and liberties being taken in some cases by government. I think it's only really the media mantra and political interest that want to act like nobody believes it and how crazy it is to think it, you, you in fact wouldn't be a logical and rational human being if you didn't at least consider the possibility based on the track record and the facts that have been established. So I think, again, that's a narrative. I think most mm-hmm. Americans know better. There is an investigation going on as to um, the possible improper surveillance of uh, Trump officials. And everyone knows, if you've looked at this at all, and I certainly know from my sources, there are all, all kinds of ways for bad actors in the intel community to wrap up people they want to surveil but cannot legally get a get a authorization to do so. There are ways to wrap them up in other targets mm-hmm. that would be named on a wiretap or in a court court order, and then you can catch them up in an incidental way or um, you know as, as part of that legal surveillance. And if it's done for political purposes, which I believe is entirely possible, then of course it's improper. And I think even possibly illegal, mm-hmm. even though on its face it may be a legal collection, if you can look at the motivations behind it and prove certain things, it could possibly be illegal. Well, yeah, I think, and both parties are involved in this, because when I hear Lindsey Graham come on TV and, and you know, and, and you know, there, if, there couldn't have been any wiretapping because there wasn't no FISA warrant. Well, like you just said, there's lots of different ways, you know, to, to get at, you know, to conduct some surveillance without necessarily having a FISA warrant. So I think both parties are kind of involved in this. If I can, if I can pose a couple, if you have time, I've got a couple listener questions for you. Sure. Were you ever told by the Obama administration to stop speaking about the surveillance you were under? No. How corrupt is our government? Um, I think there are many honest actors because some of them have been my sources and are the only reason I I know, for example, about my surveillance. Mm -hmm. But I think um, corruption has permeated the bureaucracy at many levels. And even it doesn't matter who the president is, in my experience, um, the bureaucracy survives from administration to administration. There are bad actors that are here uh, throughout Democrats and Republicans and control the information and, um, you know, play, play a big role in the narratives that we see. A um, couple questions on Benghazi, because I think that um, at least the conventional wisdom is, is that, you know, was really what, how, what you were stonewalled in terms of reporting. Um, who would have had the authority to give the stand down order in Benghazi in the chain of command? It had to be somebody high. 
Well, there, there were many uh, methods and ways in which people were told allegedly to stand down. Uh, of course, uh, terrorism response team, um, the leader of one of our terrorist response teams testified on the record that he was preparing to launch immediately, which is protocol, but he was told to stand down. Maybe not those words. He was told you're not going. Um, there are different uh, groups that were told not to go when they tried to respond. And then in the big picture, um, we can't answer the question as to who was really in charge that night because the White House won't tell us. The military acted as though it was waiting for Secretary of State Clinton to call for their help, which doesn't make sense because how can a co-equal agency really be the boss? There has to be somebody in charge at the top level, but they won't tell us who in President Obama's absence that night was calling those shots. So I'm afraid we won't know the you know, the answer to some of these questions, but there are different people in the chain of command who could have stopped uh, the wheels from being in motion. Any uh, particular reason why that your sources are telling you that they would not want to rescue Stevens? Well, I think they were hoping, uh, according to my sources, that this would not blow up into something bigger. They used poor judgment and thinking maybe it was, you know, almost over after a couple of hours and all that was left would be to kind of search for him and they could turn to the people on the ground in Libya to help with that. And they did not want to explode this into a terrorism-related event if they could cover it up and make it look like something entirely different because it was an election year right before the election. And as you recall, President Obama had campaigned on the idea that um, he had, you know, quashed al-Qaeda and that terrorists were on the run. I think I saw on your Facebook that Josh Ernest, speaking of pundits, um, being brought in as analyst, I think, he's, I think he, you posted that he got a new gig on NBC. Um, did I also see that you said he was the person who, who stopped the release of photos? Because people keep asking me, why were there no photos? There were photos the night of the uh, Osama bin Laden raid. Why were there no photos coming out of the White House the night of Benghazi? And did I see that you posted that that was Josh Ernest who stopped that? Yes. I mean, two things. There were there was video taken at the compound on site that the CIA had promised to release around Thanksgiving after it happened. Somebody stopped that release, so the video was never released. Secondly, um, I asked for the White House photos right away. The White House photo office was uh, seemed agreeable and then suddenly called back and said that we had to get permission from Josh Ernest from the White House, who we emailed and called over the course of the next two years. Uh, asking for him to make this release or explain why he wouldn't and he would never return our calls or emails. Mm. Well, you know, I'm one of the people that when I say hashtag never forget Benghazi, I mean, I will never forget Benghazi. And I think that there still needs to be some accountability for that. Shell Atkinson, I thank you so much for coming on the show. And I am so excited to read your new book. I don't know when it's coming out. It's The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You Think and How You Vote. Um, I'm assuming you're not talking about Russia. Um, and, and well, <laughs> Russia is in there and oh, my really? take on what all the uh, Russia talk is about. That's, okay. that's included. Well, when is it coming out and, and how can people also not only get the book, but how can they see your show full measure and actually get some real news that they're desperate to have? Well, thank you for asking. June 27th, it's out. You can pre-order now on Amazon or anywhere. The Smear would appreciate the pre-order. Um, my program, you can see where it airs across the nation. We feed the 43 million households on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox on Sunday. But you can go to fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news, and under About, you can see what stations it's on. And just watch the replays while you're at it. We, try, we don't only try, we always bring different information and news than anybody else has on Sunday. So I promise 
you won't be wasting your time just looking at a regurgitation of things that you've seen all week. Yeah, and that's all it is. I don't even bother to watch any of the Sunday shows anymore. I used to DVR them. I used to sit down in the afternoon with my cup of coffee excited. I don't even bother anymore. I mean, really, I might as well watch Fixer Upper. But I will watch your show from here on out, and I encourage all my listeners to do that. Cheryl, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. Now, don't change that dial. Because when we come back, we're going to shift gears and we're going to get back. We're going to go back to D.C. We're going to talk about what's going on with this Obamacare thing. Because what I want is Dr. Orient, as an expert, to calm everybody's fears that what's happening with letting Obamacare collapse is a good thing and what's going to happen next. More Andrea K. Show coming right back up. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show and like her Facebook page at Andrea K, spelled K-A-Y-E. Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hatley of the Hatley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your life. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. Boy, did I enjoy talking to Cheryl Atkinson. What a sharp, amazing, straight-up journalist she is. And I'm super excited to talk to my next guest. i got to say, though, you know, I, one of the reasons why the Facebook Live um, broadcast last week did not allow me to post was because I used some music that Facebook Live didn't think I should be allowed to use. And so I'm not going to be able to play some of my classic smooth grooves that y'all are used to hearing me play on the show. But that's okay, because DJ Carrot Sticks is, is still playing some great tunes. Oh, you're going to say I was going to sing them for you. <laughs> oh, I don't know, baby. Maybe if Dijon were back here, because he's he's the songbird of our group. Maybe if he came back, we'd let him sing. I bet if I did Grease Lightning, he'd be happy. Well, that, that'd be hilarious. Oh, grease Lightning, go. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, gosh, you know what? We got to talk Obamacare. I, I got an... I, I, if you ask six people about what they think about Obamacare's, the AHCA last week and how it was handled, the policies of it, the parts that were included in it, the strategies of it, the way it was handled, where it was good or bad or what what the role was. You ask four people, you're going to hear 40 different answers. And I thought, you know what, why not bring an expert on? Why not bring back Dr. Orient, who's the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, to talk to somebody who actually lives it, who actually not just understands the insurance aspect of it and healthcare coverage, but also the care aspect. Because you know what, coverage isn't necessarily care. I am happy that it went down this way. I'm happy that Donald Trump used the takeaway clothes and let, you know, it die and that uh, Obamacare is now going to fall under its own weight. And here to explain why that's a good thing and what happens next is Dr. Orient. Hey, Dr. Orient, welcome back to the show. 
Well, thank you, Andrea. I certainly agree with you that coverage is not the same thing as care. In fact, it is just absolutely not care. And in fact, it does a lot to impede care these days. How does it do that? Well, with Obamacare, so many of the plans that have still survived, I think there are a few remain standing, they use the concept of the narrow network where the person may have a card that says he has coverage, but his options as to where to get care are so limited. In fact, they may not have the best specialists, the best cancer hospitals, and they're really designed to to uh, cut costs by just making care unavailable. Well, yeah, I mean, my urgent care clinic that I go to, I'm one of these people, you know, I, I hardly ever get sick. And when I do, it's usually just a sinus infection. I run down to my little local urgent care place. And when Obamacare first came around, huge sign, as soon as you walked in, was like, hey, stop where you are at the door if you've got an Obamacare card because we ain't going to see you here. And, you know, here in San Diego. So, yeah, um, in terms of the AHCA last week, lots of excuses. Excuses from the Republican Party, Paul Ryan in particular, for why they had to do an Obamacare light because of the rules in the Senate and all that. But you know what? You know, the, it just seemed as though it was, and, and they admitted that it was the same Obamacare structure, just changing, um, keeping pre-existing conditions, um, t- removing the mandate. Um, except they didn't really remove the mandate because if you'd let your insurance lapse and then went to sign up again, you had a 30% penalty. Um, they were getting rid of the subsidies, but then that really came in the form of tax credits. And, you know, what was the point in that? I think it was to, to provide some sort of cover for the fact that they were just reneging on their promise to repeal Obamacare. And what they really need to do is just repeal it because we don't, still don't know what all is in it, and we need to replace it with freedom. That's the only way that that a good system can develop when you have true insurance that's allowed to survive instead of being outlawed by all of the Obamacare regulations. What is true insurance? True insurance is voluntary. It has premiums that are based on your risk. It works very well for life insurance and homeowners insurance and car insurance. If you are buying car insurance and you're a very safe, responsible, mature driver, you are not required to be in the same risk pool as a young, irresponsible teenager who's already been pulled over for driving while intoxicated and who has a, you know, a record already of a number of accidents. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I posed the question last week. I was on a panel with uh, Nancy Brinker, and I said, you know, why can't I buy health insurance uh, that, like I do my homeowner's insurance? First of all, why is it tied to any job? You know, I found myself at one point in, in a job lock situation because, you know, it was like, well, gosh, you know, this is where I got this amazing health insurance. And if I leave, this other employer is not going to offer me. Why did it ever become a part of our, our employment? It, it, w- it should be something personal that I buy for myself. It should be like my homeowners. My homeowners, I don't cover every time I have a leaky faucet. I don't, I, you know, I, I cover for catastrophic. And I also, in, in, that, in doing that, it keeps my costs down and I cover, I maintain it myself and it encourages me to do proper maintenance. I, my policy doesn't cover my next door neighbor. It doesn't cover whether or not, you know, and my neighbor's roof. I don't have to, I don't have to pay for any maintenance, not only any maintenance for my neighbor, but I also don't have to cover any remodel for him because he decided to have a bunch of kids and now his home isn't big enough. So, you know what I mean? 
Well, that's exactly right. But some there people have been taught to believe that it just isn't right that you should have to pay for your own medical care when you're sick. But people still don't want to have to pay for their neighbor's medical care, especially if he is uses drugs and drunk is and smokes and gets drunk and so on. But people have just been have been taught that they have a right to it. But they they're, and they're not allowed to benefit from their own healthy behavior. Mm-hmm. But the other thing to remember is there are a whole lot of people who profit from the system being like it is. The health insurers don't care that their premiums are very, very high because the higher they are, the more revenue they get to keep. You know, 15% of a billion dollars is a whole lot more than 15% of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, so, why- so a lot of people, they really like to keep it that way. And the hospitals like to have these huge costs because then you're terrified that you couldn't possibly pay them and who now who could. And so you have to have insurance, even though the hospital knows it's not going to get anything like those prices from insurance. It's just this cartel of people who are who are draining off maybe 50% of the $3 trillion of revenue that goes through the system and not providing anything that uh, benefits a patient for that, that well, amount that they take. Well, yeah. And, you know, getting using the homeowner analogy, I, I, I have a lot of expenses expenses involving my home that I cover myself and because again it's about catastrophic and you know I don't understand where we did get to a place in society to where um, you know these are people that will even poor people will go and spend two hundred dollars on a hair weave or on a pair of shoes but they get resentful over paying anything for their health care and you know um, if we had it more like our homeowners I go shop around so since it's just covering catastrophic if I have um, my faucet explode or issues in my plumbing or whatever, I get to shop around for my faucets and for my plumbing fixtures and for the plumber themselves. Why can't we do that in medical care? Why don't I get to shop around to see who's going to provide me the cheapest CAT scan, the cheapest hip replacement surgery? Why do? Why are these? I think that's what to me contributes a lot to the cost of insurance because the cost for the actual care gets hidden and gets negotiated by other people, by middlemen, and we're ultimately ending up paying the price. I'm not sure if I articulated my question well. Oh, I think it's a great question. And in fact, you can shop around to some extent, and you should. Like if you need a CT scan, you could call up and ask, what's the price for a self-insured cash-paying customer? Don't even whisper to them that you have insurance, and you will get probably a very good price, and they can probably see you this afternoon. Or if you go to the pharmacy, ask what the cash price is for a prescription, and you may find out that it's less than the price of even a copay on your insurance. But the pharmacist may be forbidden to tell you that, lest he violate his contract. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and people just don't know that this is an option. And under, there are true emergencies, of course, when you can't do anything, but most medical care is elective to some extent. The government, part of the, you, you've made the the statement before on my show and then articles and things that I've read that the government is not the solution, that government involvement in health care and health insurance from the jump was the issue. Can you explain? Well, this goes back to the World War II wage and price controls where, where businesses could not get employees because they couldn't pay, pay them enough. So they gave them health benefits, tax-free health benefits instead. That's where the job luck comes from. If you get pay for your medical care through an insurance plan that's owned by your employer, you get it free of payroll taxes, which is the biggest tax that most people pay, and income taxes. So if you wanted to buy the medical care yourself out of pocket, you would have to pay twice as much for it mm-hmm. because it would be taxed first. 
Gotcha. They have to use, you have to use after tax, after tax revenue. There's a lot of hysteria right now as to what's going to happen because Trump care is going to, not Trump care, Obamacare is going to implode. How, how do you think this is going to play out? I think that people need to take matters into their own hands. They can look at the insurance offerings that are available, and they may decide that it just isn't worth it. And I think the Trump administration will not be enforcing this individual mandate, which actually didn't work very well in the first place. There are all kinds of hardships ex- exemptions. There are health-sharing ministries. Um, there are ways to, to if you get a big hospital bill, if you look at our website, APSonline.org, what you can do to bring that hospital bill down. After all, hospitals get their tax exemption by pretending to be charities, and you can uh, use that to your advantage. Um, and you can, for for things that are not tr- genuine emergencies, you can look around and find out what the cost is. If you need an electric operation, you can go to surgerycenterok.com and find out what it will cost you, and it may be one-tenth as much as your nonprofit hospital would charge you. There are things that you can do. And what doctors need to do is they need to get out of off this insurance treadmill also. Mm-hmm. We'll find that they can spend the right amount of time with their patients. They will find that they can offer, you know, very affordable, reasonable fees and concentrate on what the patient needs instead of on all these costly administrative burdens, mm-hmm. box clicking on their, right. their uh, electronic health record and so on. So I think that patients and doctors need to take it into their own hands mm-hmm. and just not buy these overpriced products for right. things they don't need and don't want. What did I read that you said about Kasich from Ohio and him talking about, you know, basically playing the, you know, um, pull, tugging on the heartstrings about, you know, we got to we got to keep this if you care about people. I can't even remember what he said. And your response was basically to accuse him to being part of the swamp. Well, he is part of the swamp, and he's saying, well, we have a system. We need to have a system where people care about each other. You know, pretending like his Medicaid expansion cares about people, but the people who are offering the Medicaid is really a cash cow for these big managed care companies. They do not care about the patients. Doctors who deal with them spend a whole lot of time fighting with the system to get the patients what they need, mm-hmm. and to pretend that it's a caring system is just really a big lie. Yeah, well... Well, thank you so much for being here. I, I hope you've shed a lot of light. When I told somebody uh, over the weekend that I wanted to bring you on to, to you know, talk some realities to the actual system itself, because people just get co- so caught up in the drama and the hysteria from both parties, you know, in the media. And it's helpful to hear from somebody who actually is an expert, who understands the system and really how free market solutions will really help. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right. Okay, guys, we are gonna sh- we're gonna we're gonna shift away from Obamacare and some of this. Other- we got some other interesting stories to talk about because one of the things that Cheryl Atkinson mentioned earlier in the show, which is true, is that you turn on most of the major m- media outlets and it's beating the drum all day long. The same stories over and over and over again. So we're gonna take a quick break. We come back. We're gonna talk about some other interesting topics and things that are happening out in the news. So stay tuned. More Andrea K. Show coming right back up. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K, spelled K-A-Y-E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a 
home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hadley of the Hadley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. I was trying to do a little cheer dancing with that music, but it just ain't the same, baby. It's Shaka Khan or some of my other smooth grooves. But anyway, thanks, you guys, for uh, staying with me. Thanks to everybody out there watching via Facebook Live. And thank you to my next guest coming on, Miss Julie Mills Brennan. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Andrea. How was Hawaii last week? Oh, it's fantastic. Thanks for asking. It was beautiful. Well, I hate Well, I hate you. I'm very jealous. But thank you for (laughs) (laughs) Hawaii is my favorite place in the entire world. I just love it so much. Um, It is so relaxing. It's uh, crazy how how much you just feel so relaxed when you're there. Yeah, it's just it it truly is. I, I just think it is the most romantic as well as the most peaceful place. And it just, what a place to restore your soul. Uh, but here you come back to San Diego, not a really bad place to come back to. If I have Exactly. To. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. My husband and I said, Hey, we can't really complain. We're coming back to San Diego. <laughs> well, I actually saw an article a few weeks ago. I saved for you to come on because, you know, I'm always interested in anything that's um, related to kind of social studies, if you will. And also mm-hmm. identity politics, because you know, that everybody, both sides love to divide, you know, Americans up into neat little categories and groups and try to like, you know, tell us what our needs are or how we think or, or how we should operate or how we should think. And that particularly includes the millennials. I think everybody's fighting for the millennials as a customer, you know, they want their vote. And an interesting report came out in the San Diego Union Tribune about the millennials. And there was a huge misconception about millennials and their lifestyle choices, particularly when it comes to real estate. Seems that Everybody expected millennials to want to live in condos and buy condos so that they could be close to clubs, restaurants, shopping, etc. And the reality in San Diego has one of the largest millennial populations in the nation. And they all, the majority of them say that they want to live in the suburbs. They want to own an actual house and not a condo. Meanwhile, we're coming off a decade of constant building and city planning to build with the expectation of moving everybody to the urban areas. And now we kind of got a little bit of an inventory problem, right? Oh, yeah. We really have a major inventory problem. I'm feeling it right now, and it's it's got a huge impact. I've got about four buyers right now waiting, and there's just nothing. I mean, and whatever whatever comes on the market, there's, you know, 10 people bidding on the same property. So it is a big problem, and I have noticed the same thing that the article has mentioned. So so then what happens? Because, you know, uh, if there's a bidding war, 
who, I mean, I guess that's great for the buyer, but I don't know that that helps the millennials. So what do they get? So what does a city like San Diego do? Because it's not just San Diego. It's, it, you know, there's other cities in this problem because the report also said that m- what millennials are doing is they're moving to places like Detroit and other areas of blight where they can get properties for cheap. So what do we do in San Diego? Um, do we, are they going to start developing more houses and more developments out in suburban areas and then that's going to drive down the prices of the condos in downtown or or are they going to come up with maybe first-time buyer programs to help people get in homes well i mean there is some building going on but let's face it there's not a ton of land in san diego um there was a new development that was out um, a little bit more suburban in santee that i just sold uh some property there um, but they're, you know, they're not building them fast enough. And the problem is the, the places that they are building them, unfortunately, people are, aren't that desirable. Unfortunately, like there's some parts of El Cajon that uh, they're doing some massive building. And they're beautiful properties, but unfortunately, the areas surrounding these properties aren't the best. So yeah. it, it's, tough, it's a tough situation for the millennials. And, but, but the good news is, is there is a lot of good uh, first-time home buyer programs for them. There's a mm-hmm. 3% down program. Really? There's a, yep, it's called Community Home Buyer. There's a 3.5% down program through the uh, federal housing called FHA. Um, any of these people, the millennials that have, a, uh, you know, that were in the military and have their eligibility for VA, which is a VA loan, mm-hmm. they can get zero money down and zero closing costs. Really? So, I mean, there are some, and, and the other thing is the grants that we were talking about previously on your show. I mean, I can get some grants where it's free money for these people as long as they don't exceed a certain income. Okay. Um, so, but, but then again, how do you, if they don't want to live downtown, they don't want to live downtown, but maybe, you know, maybe that what they need to do is be convinced that that's the, that's what they need to do for a starter home. And then they can, oh, you know, yes. go out to a suburb and get land for a dog. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm telling my clients. I'm saying, you know what, listen, it's your first home. Mm -hmm. It's your first place. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the Taj Mahal. It doesn't have to be everything you ever dreamed. It's a starting point. You're starting in San Diego, which is a very, very hot and desirable area. Right. I, I, You know, and so I'm trying to get them to be Mm open-minded and just let them know if they can get into the market, build some equity. And then once once they do that, then they can make their second move, and I'll be right there to help them. Well, yeah, and you know what? I love that. Um, yeah, because, you know, it, that is, they see it. What's interesting to me about this from a social studies and even a political standpoint is that they see this now. It's the first generation in a while that I've heard of that actually recognizes that home ownership is part of the good old-fashioned traditional American dream. I love that. I don't know how much of it is, you know, the fact that HDTV and all the programming there has gotten people more excited about home ownership and about design and about that being a key factor in their life. Um, but I love that, you know, I'm all about American values and tradition, and I love everything associated with the American dream, and I just think that that's wonderful. And so, you know, whether it's in a condo downtown or in a house somewhere, you know, I encourage everybody, or first of all, call, call Julie. And second yes, of yes, all, please, please yeah, <laughs> and get in, get into a home. And I think that that also ends up being better for everybody, all communities. When people have a stake in their community, they, they plant roots. And I think that, Absolutely. you know, they keep up the community. They care. They want to. They want to make their neighborhood, you know, stay beautiful and not have it, you know, go down doing a, a downturn, which is a lot of the communities do because half of them are rentals and they don't care. Right. Absolutely. Julie, how can people get a hold of you? 
Uh, the best way is 619-992-7113, 619-992-7113, call or text, uh, and I'll return the call properly and be happy to help. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for being here, doll. All right. Have a great day. You too. Hey, before I forget, before we run out of time, speaking of San Diego, if you are anywhere within the San Diego area, coming up April 20th, Thursday, April 20th, huge event happening with our fearless station leader, Mark Larson. He's going to be doing an event with none other than Larry Elder. If you saw Larry Elder last night on Hannity, I mean, is he not just amazing? He and Mark Larson are going to be doing an event. It's called An Honest Look at the First 100 Days of the Trump Presidency. No doubt they're going to be talking about tax reform. That's something we're going to get into in next week's show. They're going to be talking about Obamacare, every bit of it, the whole Russian thing. It's going to be fascinating. I'm going to be there. It's at the San Diego Women's Club on 3rd Avenue in Bankers Hill. Tickets are really, you know, they're affordable because they just want to be able to share this event with everybody. So um, go to, to get tickets, go to am1170theanswer.com, our website. Uh, the event starts at 7 with a VIP pre-reception meet and greet. And definitely I'm going to be there. Maybe uh, maybe I can drag DJ Carrot Sticks there as well. So we'll see. Um, speaking of a little social studies, I don't know if you guys, another story, um, I'm going to throw this out there to the parents out there. Um, I don't know if you heard this story, DJ Carrot Sticks, but there was a dad who went to a Cleveland Cavaliers game, I guess it was last week, and he held up a huge sign. And the sign said, Thomas, get your grades back up, and next time you'll be here, love, Dad. And he had a cr- little crying emoji with it. And I was kind of torn. I mean, when I first saw this, and I want to get your guys' opinion of this. I thought, you know what, hat tip to this dad who, you know, he wasn't there with a wife. I don't know if he's a single dad or not, but I thought hat tip to him, African-American man, handsome too, by the way. Um, I thought hat tip to him for encouraging his son to focus on academics, for, you know, having obviously a system of accountability in place, but I'm kind of torn over the shaming because I don't, and I don't even know if it really was shaming because the way he phrased it wasn't necessarily harsh, but it was public. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of cases like this lately where the shaming goes viral. Mm-hmm. So you and know, this did have, go viral. So they'll have you know a kid standing on the corner saying, you know, I I, I stole something or just yeah. whatever it is. And I just think it kind of goes into society nowadays of wanting everyone else to take care of their kid except for that person. So here is like you know the shame and the guilt yeah. is coming from the the public instead of the father just saying. Yeah. Get your grades up and I'll take you to the game. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't need to go public with it. No, I think, you know, some of these parents, I think they're trying to get hits on their YouTube or oh, on their Oh, you know what? I didn't whatever. even think of it that because way. That's not of- cool. If that was the dad's motivation, I'm not cool with that. Um, okay. Here's another story that's starting to make the rounds that, that um, I'm, I was kind of torn over. My initial reaction, the fearless girl statue. Did you hear about the fearless girl statue? The one in front of the bull? In front of the bull in Wall Street. And I guess, I don't know if it was commissioned. I don't know who paid for it. Um, I thought it was cute at first. I actually saw Mona Salama, a friend of the shows, um, who um, took a picture out in front of it. And I thought, you know, it, it's a cute statue. And then I kind of heard the story behind it that it was put out the night before International Woman's Day. She's facing down the symbol of Wall Street to encourage, you know, women, I guess, to try to shame Wall Street. I'm going to stand up to you for suppressing women. And I'm thinking, wait a second. 
Really? Um, Wall Street or in any job or any Wall Street firms are responsible for whether or not women choose to study finance or major in finance and economics in college? This is ridiculous. This is, again, identity politics using women to try to push a liberal agenda, telling women and now telling little girls that they're victims. They're victims of Wall Street. Are you kidding me? I don't want to pitch with that statue. It's going to be up for the next year. I think people should push back against this story or demand that a fearless girl or fearless woman statue be put in front of every mosque in America. Okay, because I posted on Facebook last week, I was particularly not happy to see a woman in Shador. I think it was a few days ago, actually, which is like the Iranian. I mean, like basically it's a Iranian version of, of a burqa here in this country, which is a symbol of oppression. You know, who's really oppressing women in the world? It ain't Wall Street. It's ridiculous. Well, what about us? I mean, on, on that note, what about a, a, a statue in front of the bowl of, of maybe a little girl doing the stock market or like something that promotes them getting involved in the stock market instead of getting against it. Why can't a woman use the stock market to their advantage? Well, yeah, yeah, but but basically, it's the symbol. It's typical liberal. You know, um, they're clever with the words. They're calling it the fearless girl statue when what it really is is the victim girl statue. And as a woman, and as an aunt, I don't have any daughters of my own, but I've got some some nieces that I can't imagine loving anymore if they were my own. And I don't like that message being sent to women that they're victims. And that's really all the left movement is about with women. It's about telling women that they're victims, telling them that they're victims of the Republican Party because the Republican Party wants them to pay for their own, you know, contraceptions and tells them it's really not her body. It's actually another human being with separate DNA inside of you. But um, I, I agree. I mean, whilst Wall Street isn't anti-woman. No, but like Maria Bartiromo. Hello, uh, Sandra Sandra Smith. I mean, these are with Sandra Smith. By the way, went g- graduated out of SEBA, the Center for Engineering and Business Administration, where I got my degree at LSU. Okay, women choose whether or not they want to go into the field of finance and economics. It is a choice. So the whole thing was ridiculous. Speaking of girls being victims, um, we've all been following the Rockville, uh, Maryland story, in which um, two illegals. One, I think. 17 or 18, the other's like 20, are high school freshmen, can't speak English, gang rape a girl by dragging her into the bathroom. And, um, you know, even even after that, we've got the Maryland County School Superintendent, a guy who's making oogles amount of money, says, you know, bad things just happen, Todd. Bad things just happen. He, he needs to lose his job. Yeah, he needs to lose his job. Um, but you know he's probably protected by the unions, just and, and which are just like government workers. You can't you can't you know um, get rid of them. But I don't know that he was the one who came up with this METS program that allows these illegals who can't speak English to be college freshmen at at twenty. Um, meanwhile. They're still pushing for that state to become, not just to continue for that to be a sanctuary city, but the entire state. I mean, don't tell me that you care about women and women's rights putting some dopey statue up when you are continuing to push for policies that that not only involve rape of women, but wasn't Kate Steinle enough being murdered on the streets in San Francisco by an illegal? And we and now, not only did, did San Francisco continue to be a sanctuary city, we've got California wanting to be a sanctuary uh, state. So, and, and um, here comes, so step in. AG Sessions yesterday was coming in and saying, I'm cracking down on this crap. We're going to pull back funds on all the cities and the states who are doing this. They were supposed to be, their job is to obey the law of the land, not this pushing constitutional value crap. Putting up a statue in front of the Wall Street that you care about girls while you're supporting this, get away from me with that.
it's a distraction from what's really going on. Well, well, yeah, and the reality is it, it just proves that the left doesn't give a crap about women. What they care about is power. Otherwise, there, there's no other rational reason for why they would continue to want open borders, would want to continue to push back. All Attorney Sessions is saying is, if you find out, you local authorities find out you have a criminal in your midst, you let us know, and they're saying no. So basically, the left is, is decided that their agenda is more important than women, and it's because they want the dependency class to be increased because they know if they bring people here at 20 years old that can't speak English, they're going to need government assistance and they're going to vote Democrat. And that's really what it's about. It's about Democrats amassing power. A um, couple minutes, uh, speaking of states, a couple minutes um, before I get into my awards for last week's Fool, this week's Tool, and Here of the Week Award. Um, big story, I don't know if it's a big story nationally, but big story here in Southern California is the Raiders are going to Vegas. My girl, Elisa Brent, I think was the first one to tell me she thought the Raiders were going to end up in Vegas. Your thoughts, DJ Carrot Sticks? Well, you know, this is the third team in one year that's been approved to the NFL. They're going to play in Oakland for two more seasons, but they've been approved to move to, to Las Vegas. So this is three teams in one year that's been relocated. And mm-hmm. it's I used to love football. Football was yeah. my number one thing. I'm a third-generation Charger fan, but you know what? Yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah. And it just shows the NFL does not care about the fan. No. It's just all about money. Yeah. And, you know, it just breaks my heart because... I mean, for years I supported my team, thousands of dollars, and for them to up and move. And then some people don't realize why we're so upset. Well, not only did they move, but they moved to our rival city. Yeah. I mean, L.A. And I mean, with, with, uh, you know, uh, Oakland compared to Las Vegas, I mean, hello, they're going to make tons of money compared to tourism and all this stuff. I mean, Oakland, when they do the above shots during the halftime, where they just show the concrete of the park, you know, it'll be make them tons of money, but I think it just goes to show that the NFL doesn't care about the fans at all. Well, well, they they showed that when they had that guy, I don't remember his name, on Sunday Night Football doing a gun, you know, a Second Amendment lecture, lecturing on gun control. They showed that when they let Kaepernick, you know, uh, disrespect the United States of America and our military, uh, taking a knee during during the ceremony. I mean, in so many different ways, they've disrespected the fans. I don't know that it's going to work out for the Raiders in Vegas because they have a solid uh, fan base here that ain't going to be driving to the games like they drive down to San Diego, the Raider fans do. They ain't going to be, I don't think they're going to have the fan support in Vegas. ESPN is bleeding out money like crazy because they have politicized uh, sports to the degree they're losing. I read a report recently, they're losing 10,000 um, subscribers a day at a typical subscription of $7 a day. That's huge money that uh, ESPN, and mainly they're known for the NFL uh, coverage. Um, so you know what? Let the NFL implode like Obamacare. That's what I have you to know, say. You know, it's kind of like the sport is a is the, that statue, that power girl statue. Yeah, the yeah. actual sport is the statue, but what's really going on behind the scenes is all the agenda stuff. Absolutely. Um, speaking of agenda, I got to get to, do I have, how much time? Do I have time left to do? I've got a couple minutes left, so I got to do my awards. I forgot to put it out to you guys for your nominees for last week's Fool, this week's Tool Award and Hero of the Week. Um, so tell me, I'm going to tell you mine that just popped into my head this morning on the way to the station. You tell me if you think I'm right or not. My award for last week's Fool, this week's Tool Award, and I, I, I think he might be on his way to earning the lifetime achievement of this, is none other than Paul Ryan, who did not bother. Um, here it is, the, the Speaker of the House. I don't understand why when the, the left has a majority they and they're disunified, they push through the farthest left uh, 
a part of their their policy. When the Republicans are in charge, they still act like they're minority and they go weak and they go limp um, and they're fear based. In this case, I think it's more than that. I think Paul Ryan is a big government hack who saw an opportunity, thought he could manipulate Donald Trump and push through a big government plan. And he fell on his face with it. So, you know, at the very least, he was stupid with it. You know, even if you're going to try to push that through, at least do it behind the scenes. He knew that he had factions within the party. So to think that he was going to go out and try to try to hide this bill, go out and impersonate Nancy Pelosi with you got to pass phase one to see what's in phase two and think he was going to get away with it ridiculous fool and ridiculous tool of the left. Um, Trump and the conservatives ended up being a winner here. And I think so will America because we're going to end up with a better situation in the long run by just letting now the Democrats completely own it and it's their fingerprints all over it. And we can rebuild this crumbling house um, from the ground up. My hero of the week, and I didn't get a chance to talk uh, to Cheryl Atkinson that much about him at all, um, is David Nunes, Devin Nunes who is the head of the Intelligence Committee because he is pushing back. Not only did he come forward knowing he was going to get railed for it, came forward and said, hey, wait a second, there was surveillance, there was unmasking of Americans, so Trump was at least in part right with what he said, and now he is pushing back hard against the hacks on both sides who are trying to get him to step down, which is ridiculous. They're fools and tools for trying that. He is a hero to me because he is speaking the truth against power, the power on both sides, the both opposition parties that are trying to undermine President Trump, and the media that's trying to undermine him as well. So I I think he's a hero, but I'm curious what you guys think. Let me know if you agree with my with my awards. And uh, let me know what you think about the show. Give me show ideas, guest ideas. Love to hear from you. Thank you all for watching on Facebook Live. Thanks to the listeners. Thank you to my amazing guest, Cheryl Atkinson, Dr. Orient, Julie Mills Brennan. Call her if you're in San Diego, you want a home. Thank you, DJ Carrot Sticks. Love you all. Have a great night.